Rise Up with Orion's podcast and our Wellness Wednesday webinar. I am so excited to launch our first series um, episode this year that we are entitling Dear Coach. So each time we have one of these panels, it's going to be surrounding a different topic, and we're going to have multiple Orion coaches join us for the discussion to add more banter, to add more expertise. So all of the discussions that we're going to be talking about today are surrounding mental health, which is probably you're all joining today, and really excited um, to have both Jenny and Megan join the conversation today. They are both Orion health coaches. They have more than 20 years of coaching between the two of them um, for Orion and outside of Orion. You probably recognize Jenny's beautiful face as she was our meditation expert um, for our 2021 series. And Megan is very much a fitness coach as well as a well-rounded coach as well. Obviously, we're talking about mental and emotional health, which brings a lot of expertise to it today. Um, so again, they're experts in developing individuals to you know, thrive in their well-being. And I think mental health is one of the, the number one hot topics that they're probably talking about, that we're hearing about on the news. And it really was prompted by a participant question that we had. And I want to read it exactly how it is so you can really start the conversation off with a Dear Coach question. So the question says, during this pandemic, everyone's emotions have been tested. Mental health affects every aspect of our life, physically, financially, and social relationships. How do we keep our mental health as healthy as we can at this time? Very few people have been through something like this. We're all being tested and a majority of people need some guidance. So Jenny and Megan, we need your guidance. Where can we start? I'm actually gonna let Megan kick it off. Megan and I had the opportunity to speak briefly just about some of the major points that we went, wanted to hit. And I feel like Megan really captured an overarching theme that we kept on coming back to. Okay, well, I, uh, so I was thinking about this for a while and as we were getting ready uh, to have our conversation today, um, the the pandemic is kind of like a, a qualifier of what the last couple years have mm -hmm. have really been like. The thing the thing about stress management and nurturing your mental health is you you would have found the things that we'll talk about today. You would have found those tips and tools and tricks before, and it'll still be true once we're out of a pandemic. It's just that the environment right now is particularly testy right it's it's this level of of stress that I'll, like the question says uh most people here on this earth have not been through something like this it's totally brand new which means i guess we're kind of we're in the same boat in that we haven't experienced this there's a little bit of camaraderie there which is nice um but the stress management techniques the mental health uh uh nurturing techniques that we'll talk about today will be applicable anytime in your life for any stressful situation. Um, this is about building those coping skills regardless of what the stressor is. So if that's an okay introduction, it was something that was on my mind and uh, maybe just encourage people to continue practicing past a pandemic. <laughs> 
Yeah. And Megan, I love what you said, the word nurturing. I think a lot of the times we think about nurturing other people, you know, for those of us that have kids or if we've, you know, nurtured, you know, elderly people in our our lives. I think nurturing is a great word that I need to continue to remember because I have to nurture myself. I'm the only one who's going to get through this. And, you know, by those skills that we're going to talk about today, I think we need to nurture ourselves, you know, and nurture the practice of stress management, like you said. I think those two words are keys, nurturing and practice, because while some of these things you can do in the moment when uh, a need arises, the regular practice of them is really what has the biggest impact on overall mental health management, emotional health management. Right. Um, and I think one of the elements that we were going to talk about today, which I hope I'm not, you know, moving forward too much because it's obviously a discussion, but we hear a lot about controlling the controllables. And Jenny, can you tell us what that means? I think the words sound the same, but tell me what that means and how it relates to stress management. Yeah, absolutely. So this is not a groundbreaking statement, but there's things that are within our control and there's things that are not within our control. And we spend a lot of time worrying about things that are not within our locus of control. And so that mentality of controlling the controllables is about recentering and refocusing yourself, identifying, okay, this is my stressful situation that I am in. There are things that I can control about this situation and there are things that I cannot control. What are the things that I can control? Let's start there because I, all this other thing, all these other things that are happening over here, I can't do anything about them. I can't control somebody else's actions. I can't control the weather. I can't control a pandemic. I can't control all of these other things. There are things that I can do. Let's start there. And that's, that's what that overarching theme of controlling the controllable means. This has become one of my favorite, like, conversation pieces uh if uh, if if anybody's looking for my advice advice uh or recommendations that's why they're here that's why they're here <laughs> <laughs> I guess in, in in my one-on-one -on -one, uh interactions with people um the, this this idea of controlling the controllables is because when i'm talking to my participants or i'm having conversations with just people in my life a lot of times the things that people are worried about are stuff that they have zero control over, which means there's nothing really that you can do about it. And number one that Jenny mentioned, the number one thing you don't have control over is other people's behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's there's a level of influence that you can have over other people's lives and that people have over you. We actually use that as a technique for building habits is what's your circle of influence? What are people around you doing that tends to influence your choices? But in these in this the situations where someone might be causing some undue stress, I ultimately can't control what somebody else chooses to do or their behaviors, but I can control what I do about it or how I feel about it. Um, yeah, maybe that'll come up a little bit later, but the the focusing on the things that you can't control gives you a pathway, it gives you some structure, it gives you some direction to go. It leads you to actionable steps that you can you can take. Yeah. Um, so I, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tara. No, I was going to say, so, you know, it seems obvious, um, you know, so I can control my reaction to what's happening, but what else can we control? And Jenny, you might have been going there. 
That's exactly where I was going. I feel like Megan hit the nail on the head of you can't ultimately control somebody's actions. There are things that you can control of one, you can control to a certain extent of who you allow to surround you, of who you interact with. Um, you can control boundaries that you set up to interact with specific people. You can control mm -hmm. conversations that you have with people. There's tough conversations that you need to have with important people in your life um, in order to basically give them a guidebook on how to be a part of your life, how, you know, what things that they can say to you, what kind of behaviors are acceptable to you. Um, and if they want to be a part of your life, then they want to learn what those boundaries are so they can respect them. And so those are things that you can control. Ultimately, like Megan said, you cannot control what they choose to do, what they choose to say, other person's behaviors, but you can control conversations that you have with them and how you initiate that. You can control boundaries that you set for yourself. So and even those, with that uncontrollable, there are things that you can control. And those two things are gonna go together a lot, right? Is, is setting boundaries and uh, the skill of being able to have crucial conversations is, I think a lot of the time, especially if you're not in the practice of that, if you're not particularly in the practice of setting boundaries, it's probably a scary conversation once you do start to try and set boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, the pandemic has forced us to do that. You know, I, I'm reflecting over the last two years, and I think if it has taught, you know, many of us anything, we've really had to choose who within our social circle um was going to be there for us you know to help us through it whether we were you know doing you know virtual dinners or we were playing games online there were just so many things that we had to you know really focus on that circle to bring hopefully those positive people into our lives because there were a lot of opinions you know with the pandemic and politics and everything that surrounded us for the last two years we've had to choose our circle and we've had to create those boundaries i think you know i know for myself it it was very important to do that because it was overwhelming. Um, so yeah. again, you know, fantastic. Um, and I think the crucial conversations is a piece that I would love to dive into a little bit more, um, just kind of what a crucial conversation is and how to kind of leap into that if either of you want to kind of go down that path with me. Well, I will say, I've, um, if you're thinking of a crucial conversation, it's it's, a conversation that you have to have when the stakes are high. Mm -hmm. I can be succinct with that. Great definition. And jumping into it, actually, um, maybe I'll bring up Jenny. You did an interview with a therapist at Blomquist Hale, uh, which <laughs> was an Orient webinar, right? <laughs> yes. It was. Yeah, it was in yeah, December. Um, but I was thinking from what's something that stood out in that interview to you that applies to these crucial conversations or was it like a takeaway that makes sense here, do you think? Yeah, and and we, I mean, we obviously did a whole podcast about that in December. And so we, I'll, I'll just kind of loosely touch on that. Um, but one thing that really stood out to me, we were talking about boundaries specifically, how to create them, when to create them. And something that really resonated with me is he was saying that the topic of boundaries has become so prevalent and hot button of like setting boundaries, respecting boundaries that he has seen in his own practice at getting to the point where people are setting up and erecting boundaries 
rather than having uncomfortable, crucial conversations. Mm. So, and, and the crucial conversation should occur before the boundary, right? Of instead of, instead of necessarily being like, okay, you're not a part of my life anymore, or I'm going no contact with you or, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever your boundary is of being able to have an uncomfortable high stakes conversation of saying, Hey, this is what I am experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. This is behaviors that I'm seeing. This is how they impact me. We need to have a conversation about this because if we can't find some sort of resolution, I am going to have to protect myself by creating this boundary, whatever that might look like. But we need to have a conversation first. And that's something that he was seeing that was really prevalent of boundaries were coming first in lieu of having a conversation where he's he really emphasized the need of being comfortable being uncomfortable and having those high stakes crucial conversations to me that sounds like the difference between a, a healthy and unhealthy boundary you're saying an unhealthy boundary like boundaries don't mean avoidance necessarily an unhealthy boundary maybe in that situation is you can't you can't just cut people off you can totally ghost someone but mm -hmm. if it's an important person to you in your life, your family, your close friends, whatever it is, if it's going to be a healthy boundary, you have to have the conversations first. And you said a lot, a lot of times they're uncomfortable. So kind of, I do think an important coping skill and stress management skill is getting comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's why it's a practice, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. And it's true for all kinds of growth, not only for, I know we're talking about mental health today, but sure. Megan, you're a personal trainer. You know that better than everyone, anyone of you've got to be comfortable being uncomfortable with your body. You're going to do things that are going to stretch it and help it grow, but it's going to be uncomfortable and, and have some growing pains a little bit. It's the same thing for any kind of new practice is just the ability to kind of sit and be comfortable with those growing pains and not run away from them or shy from them. And in the context of a crucial conversation, um, you know, something that there, there is a book called Crucial Conversations that is very helpful in learning and understanding the situation uh, and, and just learning how to have them. Uh, crucial Conversations by Jenny, you're the book girl. Do you know the name? Um, it's by several people. Yeah, um, and I might not remember all of them, but Can some of the co some of the co-authors. There's Carrie Patterson. No, there's Joseph Rennie. There's Al Switzler, and I know that there's one or two more, and I cannot remember them. That gives the people what they need to find the right book. Um, yes, and it's in the handout as well. There you go. Oh, there you go. Good job, Terry. Man, um, putting me on the spot for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a test, just some banter for sure. It's the trust that I have in you and knowing these things. I, I, I trust your literary. Uh, see, see, this is why we let we let Jenny Knowledge. do the words. Words are hard. Knowledge. Yes. Um, <laughs> so something that stood out in that book or has stuck with me is in crucial conversations. Kind of check yourself on what your goal is out of the conversation? Are you trying to come to an understanding? Are you trying to be more empathetic and, and understand the person you're talking with better? Or are you trying to win? And in most cases, if you're trying to win, 
the conversation will go well. It's now an argument, perhaps, or a fight. It's not, yeah. it's maybe no longer a conversation. So why did that come to my mind right now? Oh, uh, which probably puts you in a situation where you are uncomfortable, where you kind of have to, you have to sit back a little bit. You have to check yourself, maybe process, think about what was just said to you. Especially, I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with quiet pauses in a conversation. So <laughs> in practicing and having more of these crucial conversations, allowing things to be quiet for a minute is mm -hmm. can be really effective. You're absolutely yeah. right. And something that stood out to me of when you were describing of thinking about what you want to come out of the conversation, um, there's really two things that that's repeated frequently within that book of crucial conversations of going into any crucial conversation with mutual purpose and mutual respect. And that really both parties should have that mentality. And if you're asking yourself, okay, how do I come into a conversation with mutual purpose and mutual respect? There's some questions that you can ask yourself to get into that headspace when you're contemplating having a crucial conversation of you know com questions like what do i want for me for, to come out of this conversation what do i want for others what do i want for our relationship um do i believe do other people believe that i care about their goals in this conversation that's part of mutual respect right like they need to believe that i care about what they want do they trust my motives you know, do they feel like I'm coming into this conversation in an effort to manipulate them or as you were saying to win? If you can answer those questions honestly and you know, being in a vulnerable place that that'll put you in and get you to that place where you can express mutual purpose and mutual respect, it can be uncomfortable, but it's you're going to have a lot of success and come arrive at a much healthier place and a higher level of empathy and understanding like you were describing. Yeah, and I do think, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just, I was going to say you both have brought up kind of growth and mindset. And that's, that's really what I'm thinking about as well, which again, we can go there after Megan, you add your, your two cents, but really kind of that growth mindset versus a fixed mindset as well. Which, and if, <clears throat> if I uh, think about that, that a little bit further, just real quick is, you know, growth mindset is problem solving fixed mm -hmm. mindset is literally that fixed on the problem and not, i win going i'm anywhere. gonna win yeah. i'm gonna win i'm gonna win uh no i think it's it could be important to acknowledge uh if you're looking at having some of these conversations with people setting up some boundaries uh in your life you talked about the mutual respect coming into the conversation i think it's highly likely if a boundary is needed mutual respect probably isn't there so just to be kind of prepared for a bit of that is, again, you can't control the other person's behavior or their response. And if they're constantly crossing boundaries, likely the people who are upset about you setting up boundaries are the ones that are crossing them all the time. So just kind of a recognize this might be part of how the conversation goes so that you're better mentally prepared and keeps your stress levels down because you already thought about this <laughs> you know not not then worrying about the conversation you just had and did i offend him what do they think of me now guess what you still don't have any control over that mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Another, another one of my favorites, or has become my favorites in like stress management, because I do think a lot of that like stressing and worrying is what are other people thinking? And mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know where I heard this, but I loved it, is that other people's opinion of you is none of your business. <laughs> I know, but we fixate on it, right? It is yeah. so important, you know, through many stages of our lives, you know, starting when we're little kids, all of a sudden, you know, I've got an eight-year-old and, you know, it, the shoes he wears in the morning, you would think were the decision of the century and he was not going to have friends based on his shoes. So again, <laughs> you know, it is one of those where it starts really early and it's very hard to let that go. Yeah. Of course, there's caveats to that. I do care what my husband thinks of me. I do mm -hmm. care what my family and my close friends, but I mean, beyond well, that, all, all you can control is your behavior. So if you want people to mm -hmm. think better of you, behave better. <laughs> and it's it's going into one of those things of what you were saying, Tara, of it's hard to let that go. As someone in their 30s who has had chronic depression and anxiety, <laughs> Megan has shared that quote with me before, and I'm just like, ugh. I know <laughs> that does nothing to help me stop doing it. Yep. Um, something that I think of, it's not even necessarily about letting it go. Anyone who is like me and has had chronic anxiety your entire life, I don't know if it's possible to let it go. That would be wonderful if we could just make that decision and just be like, poof, anxiety gone. That would be <laughs> lovely. Um, I haven't gotten to that place yet maybe someone else will, but something that I can do again within that locus of control of controlling the controllables is that there's strategies, strategies and techniques that can help you with your mindset, that can help you with your own behaviors, with your own decision-making, with your own coping mechanisms to help you live with it in lieu of eliminating it. It's not necessarily something that you have to get rid of. It's something that with something within your control is learning strategies and techniques that can help you grow and become the person that you want to be, even with it. Um, our brains are amazing. There, there's this word called neuroplasticity where our brains, we think of as adults as like they're fixed. Sure, we can continue to learn, but like our brains just are wired the way that they are. And research shows us that not that that's not true. I'm gonna kick it back to my meditation days from last year. Um, but even after just 11 hours of meditation, and I don't mean consecutive 11 hours, nobody has time for that. Um, but just 11 accumulative hours of meditation, you can already see your brain structure changing on an MRI machine. They mm -hmm. researchers can see it after eight weeks of meditation, it's even more prevalent. You are literally rewiring and restructuring your brain. Different parts of your brain highlight, different parts are enlarged. This is something that you can do at any age, um, at any skill level, you can start this and it just takes a little bit of practice. And you can, these are techniques that anyone can do and literally rewire your brain. And you'll find that not only does it, is the active meditation helpful in itself in that you feel calm in the moment and the few minutes that you're maybe doing meditation. But one of the best things about meditation is that 
It helps you in the moment when things are stressful. It helps you when your boss asks you about that really difficult project or they, you know, give you some really tough criticism. It helps when you're in a disagreement with your spouse or your partner. It has a tremendous carryover effect into those uncomfortable moments. So that's my quick plug-in for my last year series. <laughs> <laughs> If you think of uh, like what you just said is it does help in the moment, but if you are practicing regularly, you kind of you you build this this initial threshold that you're always at with mm -hmm. stress management practice so that if there is a, a moment that comes up that is particularly stressful, you're in practice with it. You can jump right into it. You don't have to think about it. Right. Like memory. Yeah, and it's, and it's interesting because one of the most common feedback that I hear from people is that they say, I can't meditate. My brain is just going a million miles an mm. hour. Um, I'm all over the place. I can't focus. Research shows that like the people who give that feedback are the same ones that notice the biggest effect in their real life. That would be like, you know what? I had this situation. Normally, I would have reacted like this. Since I've been meditating, I was able to quiet my mind a little bit more and able to respond deliberately like this, and it made a huge difference. So even if you're one of those people where you feel like I'm terrible at meditation, I can't do it. My mind is all over the place. Um, it's it, Those are the people who often have the biggest carryover effects into real life scenarios. Because it's a skill. That's literally what meditation is. It's helping you practice, build those skills of calming your mind, of focusing your thoughts. If, I'm, if, you, if you don't possess a skill and you want to get better at it, everyone is bad at that skill but until they start practicing. Yeah. Right. yeah, I think, you know, when I think about meditation as well, you know, obviously many of our meditations last year were were guided and they were sitting quietly against a wall or laying down. But I think there's so much of meditation that can take on different forms, you know, from, you know, sleep meditations or dare I say moving meditations, i.e. exercise, getting out there. I mean, so again, it can come in so many different forms and, you know, just a couple deep breaths, you know, is going to give you a little boost of, you know, a stress management skill um, that, you know, maybe isn't sitting down for five to 45 minutes to actually have that, that quiet time um, to look at different avenues for that. I love what you're saying. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Megan. I just say there's a reason that those things keep coming up there. If I feel like I do feel like I have conversations often enough where people are like meditation, pshaw. There's a reason it keeps coming up. Meditation, deep breathing, exercise. Mm -hmm. There's a reason when you Google stress management, those things keep coming up. Yep. And Tara, I, what you were saying of just taking a couple of deep breaths. Yes. You know, like you're saying, Megan, you Google self, you Google stress management, you look up any book on stress management, there's yes. going to be like the same seven techniques mm -hmm. that are outlined and most commonly used. Yeah. Um, well, I love what you said, Tara, of just starting with a couple of breaths. The idea of sitting down and meditating for 20 to 30 minutes daily, you know, we can like watch a TED talk or listen to this webinar and maybe being like, oh my gosh, I'm motivated, I'm ready to go. I'm going to do this. And after a couple of tries, it's so hard and you stop doing it because more it's, stress. it's a really difficult thing to do. And it is more stress 
So my encouragement would be start with a couple of breaths. We call them starter steps. Think of the most basic thing, the simplest part of a difficult task that you have to do and start there. Start with taking three deep breaths. Don't start with 30 minutes of meditation. Start with three deep breaths. And if it feels good in the moment and you want to do more, great, continue, carry on. But just start with three deep breaths. If you have a really difficult conversation that you have to have with someone and the idea of having that conversation with someone is so overwhelming, it's almost paralyzing, what's the simplest thing that you have to do? Maybe it's just writing down your thoughts. Mm. Maybe it's just, uh, you know, maybe it's reading a book about crucial conversations so you feel more prepared for it. Maybe it's just answering the simple question of what do I want for me? What do I want for other people? What do I want for our relationship? Just pick like the smallest thing of any new behavior that you're trying to do and do that. And that's a huge accomplishment. That's not nothing. Some people might hear that being like three deep breaths. That's not going to fix anything. It is. You are going to start seeing success with those small starter steps, and it's going to be easier to build your way up to where you want to be rather than feeling so overwhelmed at this seemingly very daunting task. And I think that comes back around to kind of this like idea of control the controllables and and do like an action item. Uh, it does get overwhelming to think of the big picture all the time. I think there's value in knowing where you want to go and what the big picture is. But once it get once it's to that point where it's it's too overwhelming, case stop thinking about the big picture. What is the next step? Can you see the next step to take? Take that one. If you can't see mm -hmm. the next step, ask some of those questions. All right. Well, what are some of the things that I could do? Maybe I will read a book. Maybe I'll learn more about this. Maybe I'll gather my thoughts on uh you know write it down. Um, or record it. Everybody can record something on their phone. Maybe talk out loud and play it back to yourself. Mm -hmm. You'll probably hear something different or, you know, that you, you like or dislike before moving on to the bigger steps. Absolutely. And Megan, something that you said is bringing me back. I feel like we're a little bit all over the place. <laughs> yeah, so sorry. <laughs> no, it's not you, but to what Tara was asking earlier about a growth mindset is that it's it, it's very easy to experience a quote unquote failure. Uh, something didn't work out, something had a negative impact or a negative, an, an undesired result. And it's so easy to be like, oh, I can't do this or I want to avoid it in the future because I know that it leads to negative things. That's a fixed mindset. A growth mindset doesn't necessarily believe in failure. It's, I learned something that it did have this outcome. I didn't like it. I get to try again. I get to learn from my experience and I get to do this again and I get to have a different outcome. And it might be a desired or an undesired outcome. I get to take data and information from that and I get to try again and I get to keep trying and I get to keep growing. And that's what your comments were just reminding me of, of that having that growth mindset of, I'm not failing, I'm learning. I can learn from what happened and I can continue to grow and get better. Yeah. Well, you, you said something there too with that fixed mindset is like avoiding it or maybe getting rid of it. You mentioned earlier your lifelong anxiety and depression management, right? So it's, 
that growth mindset then switches. It's not a, it's not about getting rid of it or avoiding it. It's about addressing it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you guys are amazing experts. It's one of those where I think a lot of the time, you know, we do get stuck. And I think many people have brought this up over the last two years is, you know, I don't know where to turn. I don't even know where to start, what conversation to have, what questions to ask, you know? And so that's really why we're bringing you both as experts, um, as the Orion health coaches, but where else can people turn if they're just stuck and they can't internally do the things that we're talking about? Check if your employer offers an EAP, an employee assistance program. Um, there are different social services that can help connect you with uh, counselors that are affordable or different social services if you need them. Um, include like maybe your stressor isn't like, isn't necessarily anxiety like mine, but maybe it's something of like financial security, paying the bills, buying groceries. These things cause significant stress and no amount of meditation is going to give you enough money to buy your groceries. Um, it can help you deal with your, how you're feeling with it, but it can't solve that root thing. So that, that's one place to start of if you really don't know their social services, um, Aunt Bertha is one of them. Um, there's a few others that I can provide to Tara and she can send out in an email for, for everybody. Um, see if you if your employer offers an EAP, that is a free benefit to you. If you have one, that is free counseling that you can get. Take advantage of it. Um, there's fantastic books. Uh, that you can purchase or get from your local library. Crucial Conversations is one that we've mentioned today. If you're interested in learning more about the growth mindset, uh, it's, there's a book called uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck, which is fabulous. Uh, if you want to learn more about different stress management techniques like meditation, visualization, progressive muscle relaxation, um, there's a fantastic book called Mind Over Mood that's M-O-O-D, uh, by Dennis Greenberger. That'll help walk through different emotions like depression, anxiety, and anger, and give you different practical workbook tips and strategies to help you work through those. Megan? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I got I got distracted. Uh, I just think um, it's, we don't want, I don't want to overlook some really simple options too. Hop on YouTube and search for what you're looking for. Uh, maybe you want a guided meditation, maybe you want some uh, some education on how to build these these skills apps. Um, I was just thinking like uh, a meditation app, Calm is really popular, Headspace, right? But also if the stressor is financial, find a financial planning app, a time management app, whatever that stressor is. There's videos, apps, podcasts, all kinds of things that can help you out with that kind of stuff. You can also call us. You can yes, call us. We are here to help for sure. Exactly. Which is why we're talking about this. It's like I said, this is one of the main conversations that I know you all have had over the last couple of years. Um, so I really, I do not want our conversation to end. Um, and I hope that it doesn't end because there's so many resources. Um, but for each of you, I would love as kind of a closing in the next couple of minutes for you each to share your top three best stress management or coping or resilience tips with our audience 
whether it be personal or those that you extend to your participants across the country. So, you know, it's probably going to be more than three. But Jenny, what are your three best pieces of advice that you can give to our audience? Um, one is, is I, I'm going to preface this by saying that people often roll their eyes because they sound so simple. And if it's simple, then it can't work, right? It's not true. <laughs> Try these things and it'll be annoying how effective they are. <laughs> it's obnoxious. One we've talked about before is taking some deep breaths. Okay. Your body and your mind are very closely related. When you are experiencing stress, your muscles tense up, your breathing shortens and shallows. Take deep diaphragmatic breaths. That means that your tummy is rising, not your chest. Uh, you can even put your hand on your belly to make sure that you're doing it correctly and your hand will rise and fall. Just take some deep breaths. That is going, it has to. It is a physiological impact where the muscular stress will start and tension will start to alleviate. Your brain will quiet, your blood pressure will go down, you will feel more equipped to move forward. Second is going for a walk, exercise, and just movement is one of the most fabulous things that you can do. Bonus points if you're doing deep breaths while you're walking. But just please, going, please going for a walk, connecting with nature, getting away from your immediate environment, incredibly effective. Last thing that I would say is it is we are programmed to want to react to things. And just by taking a moment or several moments to respond the way that you would like to respond can be incredibly effective. You know, if somebody is coming at you and you're immediately feeling attacked and defensive and your instinct is to react in a way that isn't going to necessarily be productive or serve either of you, you can just say, Hey, I'm I'm feeling attacked right now. I would like to take a few minutes to think about this. I would and let me get back to you. Or I'm I'm feeling really rushed. Uh, I don't want to make a decision right now. I'll talk to you about this tomorrow. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Uh, I don't have the emotional capacity to take this on right now. Let me get back to you another time. Just being able to not react immediately and just taking however long you need to respond effectively can be incredibly empowering when you're in a stressful situation. Yes, all of yours remind me of the word pause because everything is just taking that pause, whether it be breathing, getting some fresh air and exercise or just taking a moment to, to collect yourself. Um, yeah. The pause is so important. Um, so Megan, what's your hot coaching advice? Uh, thank you for asking these, by the way. I'm very, really happy to be able to include this in our uh, conversation today. I do want to quickly second the exercise movement, especially if you can do it outdoors, is is so, so effective. But the top three. Um, what kind of a quick, like 30 second, couple minute thing uh, that I think people can do is if you have a situation that you're worried about is causing anxiety, causing stress, write down everything about that situation that is bothering you and then cross off the things that you can't control and focus on the things that you can. Start taking actions on the things that you can control. Uh, two is uh, was introduced to me by Jenny, Miss Jenny G, is the self-coaching model, 
which is an exercise that walks you through, uh, what do I want to say, maybe different like possibilities of where your thoughts can lead you in a situation, how right. the circumstances, the thoughts, your feelings, how all of those things um, cascade after each other and um, highlights how pivotal your thoughts are in a situation and and how they impact your feelings of a situation. So the self-coaching model by Brooke Castillo uh, is, is another really like, you can do this exercise regularly. And then another, I- Another word that it's called is cognitive behavioral therapy. If you want different books or workbooks, that's where you'll find it under is called cognitive behavioral therapy. And then I wanna build on the, the deep breathing a little bit. Um, Something that has come across my purview, actually, I uh, first talked with a participant about it, is cold therapy. And I don't know if it's one of those things where I'm starting to be interested in it, so now I hear all about it, or if it's <laughs> generally having a moment right now, um, because now it's been, it's been professional and, and uh, personal circles that it's, it's happening a lot. But cold therapy, so um, there's a lot of different ways that it can be done is simply, you know, splashing your face with cold water all the way up to being fully submerged in in ice cold water um but i'm i'm sure everyone's experienced that if you think of when when you get into cold water you get that initial like <laughs> kind of reaction right and so so the the idea is one it does snap you into a very like mind body connection right now like be present in the moment. And then two, creates this really like intense environment to practice controlling your breathing. So it's it's this exercise in, I'm in this cold water, let me control my breathing. It's something that helps you kind of develop some grit. It's an uncomfortable situation and and putting, see, see how much longer you can go. Um, I, I've personally started this just with showers. I'm gonna take a normal warm shower at the end, turn the water on cold, and I'm trying to increase my time with it. Um, same if you're getting fully submerged into something, start with as long as you can, maybe that's 30 seconds, and keep increasing your time, focus on controlling your breath. Um, but I also know that uh, when you submerge, all of your, your blood is shunted to your your brain and your vital organs mm -hmm. it also triggers your heart to the heart rate to speed up and get fresh more oxygenated blood to those areas when you get out you warm up your periphery as uh, more superficial uh blood vessels start dilating again pulling that blood out of your vital organs in your brain that fresh blood comes into it and it also triggers happy hormones, serotonin, dopamine, just like endorphins, just like exercise would. Um, so anyway, cold therapy is is gaining popularity, I think. Yes, as long as it's done safely, it sounds yes. like. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, yes as I, long know, as it's I done just safely. go outside and get some cold ther therapy, you know, this time of year, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, definitely worth, you know, reaching out to, um, as we've talked about on this podcast, I think what's going to work for Megan isn't going to work for Jenny. That's not going to work for me. 
Um, you know, one of my biggest trip tricks that I really focus on, and it is a full day practice for me is sleep. You know, it's something that you spend all day preparing for a good night's sleep. And without that, I'm really a sleep nerd. I teach classes outside of, you know, Orion and podcasting for this. But again, it's one of those where you prepare all day for a good night's sleep. And without that, unfortunately, everything that we just talked about um, in my mind is even more difficult to do. So that's probably my biggest tip and trick. Um, you're here. So um, as a closing, I want to thank both of you from the bottom of my heart and resources for joining the conversation today and know that it is just the beginning, um, not only for this series that we're having, but for each and every one of us with our mental health and our stress management and our resiliency practice. So hopefully we're just barely scratching the surface, giving people some different fire extinguishers to pick out when the fire is hot and we can put them into place. So thank you ladies so much for joining us and thank you to everyone who is listening and good luck with your practice and mental health stability and always reach to Orion, out to Orion if there's anything that we can do to support you. Thank you ladies so much. Thank you.